Welcome to Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser. This is the podcast designed to help you lead your life enthusiastically today, tomorrow, and every other day. I am your host, Ron Kaiser. I'm a positive health psychologist, also a keynote and TEDx speaker, and author of the award-winning and best-selling book, Rejuvenating the Art and Science of Growing Older with Enthusiasm. My website is The Mental Health Gym. It's your source of all sorts of information related to wellness, positive psychology, my own spin on it that I call goal-achieving psychology, rejuvenating, and it's also the place to communicate with me, including making suggestions for future guests of this podcast. This is a very special podcast, not because we don't always have special guests, but we have an especially special one today who's honoring us on this, the 100th podcast of Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser. We started a couple of years ago, and I'm so grateful for all of those of you who have been listeners, either from the beginning or who jumped on midstream, who have kept this podcast going. Needless to say, the other critical element has been the quality of the guests that I've been able to entice to get on the podcast. And it's a great honor today. Uh, I actually made sure that I had somebody really special for the 100th episode. In 1972, I walked into an office at the University of Pennsylvania and met Michael Mantell on my first day of my doctoral program. We became really good friends and we pushed each other we were to make sure that we were you know, on track and all that. And about three and a half years later, four years later, Michael got his PhD exactly one week before I got mine. And I think I've been playing catch up with him ever since that time. <laughs> I always feel like I'm about a week behind. Somewhere along the way, uh, Michael, now Dr. Mantell, decided that uh, being my classmate may not be the highest point that he aspires to in his profession. So how about this for a resume? Michael Mantell, PhD, has been providing psychological and coaching services for nearly five decades and continues to empower positive change among his global clients to enhance life in every way. He is a highly sought after healthcare professional coach, an executive and team building consultant, and a longtime specialist in cognitive behavioral coaching. Dr. Mantell earned his PhD from the University of Pennsylvania in 1976. I believe it was March 1st, of 1976, if my recall is correct, because I think I got mine on March 8th. He did that after completing his master's degree in clinical psychology at Hahnemann Medical College in 1972. He has served as chief psychologist for Children's Hospital of San Diego, for the San Diego Police Department. He's been an assistant clinical professor in the Department of Psychiatry at UCSD Medical School and chief behavioral sciences consultant for the American Council on Exercise. Dr. Mantell has also been bringing behavioral science to the public through broadcast news, helping viewers flourish throughout the span of life. He has developed and led a yearly three-day physician wellness program for the American Society of Hematology, where he created and serves as 
leader of the organization's monthly optimal living series. He's a member of the Science Advisory Board of the International Council on Active Aging, and the Educational Advisory Board of the Medical Fitness Network, and an advisor to the Medical Fitness Association. He has been named to Greatest.com's 100 Most Influential People in Health and Fitness. Dr. Mantell has authored four books, including his 1988 best-selling Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, P.S., It's All Small Stuff, Kicking Time Bombs, which is subtitled Diffusing Violence in the Workplace, and his most recent, The Link is What You Think. From the Healthy Aging Summit in Australia to the Asian Asia Fitness Conference in Bangkok, to the recent Canadian Orthopedic Association Health, Fitness, and Organizational Conference. Dr. Mantel has been speaking and bringing his knowledge worldwide to so many people. And now we have the opportunity of listening to him without leaving our computer or headset or wherever you're hearing this podcast. So, Michael, welcome to Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser. I don't think I have to tell you that I am really, really delighted to have you as the guest on my 100th podcast. Wow. Thank you very much, Dr. Ron Kaiser. Um, I remember when we were just Ron and Michael uh, way back when. It is an honor, truly, truly an honor uh, for me to be amongst the many guests you've had, but especially the 100th, whatever that really means. But uh, Ron, your career has certainly been exemplary in every single way. And I'm not sure about who's playing catch up with who, but I think we really support each other in so many interesting ways. Though we're, you know, I'm on the West Coast, you're on the East Coast, we seem to bring together the two coasts in many ways. So thank you for having me on. Oh, it's my honor. And I think something about the way we were trained and something about the way that we influenced each other has kind of led us into this general direction of wellness uh, rather yeah. than rather than sickness in terms of psychology. Which, you know, as I was going through reviewing your resume, couldn't help but recognize that that some of our colleagues, somebody may get a job in a hospital or in a school or in a private practice and stay there forever, specializing in, in one particular area. You've been all over the place and doing a terrific job in in, in everything. Can you just Tell us a little bit about the journey or the thinking that got you to be who you are today. Well, I thank you for that question. So here's the, here's the short answer. Uh, you may remember when I was at uh, U of Penn, one of the things that I began commenting on was how I saw psychologists have what I call white coat envy. That psychologists were trying to be, you know, in a sense, equal to psychiatrists, and certainly at Hahnemann Medical College in the psychology program, we saw that. My first job was to be chief psychologist, as you said, at Children's Hospital in San Diego. And I tried as much as I could to focus on positive psychology. Um, I once had a youngster who was diagnosed with autism. And I said to the mother and father, I will help your son if we promise never to use that word. I don't want to use that word. I don't want to, We're not going to start charging medical insurance. They thought I was crazy. 
And <laughs> guess what? One day the kid comes into the office and he says, well, I think I have autistic anger. I said, and the mother looked at me. She said, I promise I never used the word. And the, and the youngster said, no, my mother never said the word autism. I think that's what I have. And I said, well, maybe you're just angry. And he said, you mean maybe it's not autistic anger? I said, no, maybe you're just frustrated about something. And he said, oh, okay. He's starting Harvard University as a freshman this coming fall. That was when he was, I think, eight years old. My point being, I was always someone who saw things differently. I saw an opportunity to help police officers in 1979, 1980, and created a program of psychological services where none existed. And then I began more and more focusing on wellness for the cops. And then one day I read, I became very interested in obesity and the psychological aspects of obesity, I wrote my thesis at Hahnemann about that. And I read an article that the American Council on Exercise was going to eradicate obesity by 2030. This was more, way, way, many, many, many years ago. And I called them and I said, hey, you don't know me. I don't know you, but you're going to eradicate obesity through diet and exercise. You guys left off the third leg of the tripod thinking, and it got quiet on the other end of the phone. And the woman said, oh, wow. Wow. We'd like to talk to you. Where are you? And I said, I'm in New York right now because we were visiting grandchildren. And they said, oh, that's too bad. We're based in San Diego. I said, wait a minute. This was meant to be. I live in San Diego. Two weeks later, I became the chief behavioral science uh, consultant for American Council of Exercise and went into the fitness world and then became involved with general wellness, uh, most recently physician wellness, because the rate of physician burnout and the rate of physicians leaving practice uh, is just tremendously of concern. 79% of primary care physicians experience workplace stress, some say burnout. Each year, more than 400 doctors, physicians take their lives. And so we, and this is an area that I've been focusing on a great deal. There, and that was my short answer, Ron. You imagine <laughs> I, they gave you my long answer. But my point yeah, is, right. I always look for, if I'm going this way and everyone's following, I'll look the other way and go that way. That's just the way I've been raised and the way I've been trained. Yeah, no, that's terrific. Really appreciate hearing it, some of it for the first time for me. But the, the point you mentioned about physician, I mean, when you think about it, it almost, if one is to think in terms of insanity, which I like to not do, you would think physicians of all people would be trained to think in terms of wellness and managing their own health and encouraging people to manage others. Uh, and I, I've often told people that uh, so I was somewhere in my 60s, maybe early 70s, the first time that I had a primary doctor who asked me about how many times a week I exercised or, uh, you know, how many times I eat red meat, things of that nature. And, you know, I, I think it's probably not totally uh, coincidental that you get this burnout rate uh, among people who are trained to look at, at disease and find it, as opposed to being able to take the kind of pleasure that you took from changing this this family and this child's thinking relative to anger versus autism. So, I mean, thanks very much for that. Um, oh, you bet. I know you're really an authority on 
cognitive behavioral therapy, your books kind of reflect that, your thinking does. It's interesting. I was thinking about it. And uh, while I've had a number of guests that operate from that perspective, never really uh, had uh, somebody give a short course on it uh, on one of these podcasts. And at the risk of the short answer becoming long, I'm wondering if you can Kind of tell us number one uh, what it is, what you know, what differentiates it, and why you think it works and has been successful. Because it's certainly uh, among all the schools of psychotherapy, it's really had a tremendous uh, growth and influence. Well, I, we we have both been influenced by uh, Aaron Beck at the University of Pennsylvania. I've also had the opportunity to study with Albert Ellis a bit many, many years ago in New York. So I've been influenced by the two leading thinkers in behavior, in cognitive behavioral or rational emotive behavior therapy. It's what I call cut to it therapy. It goes to the source of anger, the source of depression, the source of anxiety. Quickly, in today's world, filled with anger, particularly filled with anxiety, people have a demanding approach to thinking. Things must be different. I must be different. You must treat me differently. My life must be different. There shouldn't be all this noise behind me uh, and so forth. And then we awfulize about that. This is horrible that it's not going the way I demand it go. And and then I can't tolerate this. I can't stand it. And then we self-demean or we demean others. He's no good. We globally rate. Cognitive behavioral therapy says activating events do not cause our emotions. Um, the, the principle of emotional responsibility is we, we create our emotions, whatever they are, by what we think about what's going on. And as cognitive behavioral therapy therapists or coaches, we teach people. It's an educational process, more, I believe, than a treatment. We teach people how to think so that if something happens, the first thing to do is catch your thought and then challenge your thought. Is what I'm thinking real? Could I be thinking about this differently? If I were thinking about this more positively, how would I think about it? If I was advising a friend, what would I tell a friend? But the key is to eliminate demanding, awfulizing, in a low frustration tolerance and self-demeaning, globally rating yourself. When you do that, you live better. You live happier. That's what I bring to everything. Get rid of the I got angry. No, you didn't get angry. You created it. You made yourself angry. What were you thinking? The simple question, Ron, is what am I thinking that makes me feel this way? That's it. And that, that begins to, to point people in the direction of what you can change. Now, I know you've brilliantly kind of summarized it in your, your book on Don't Sweat the Small Stuff. Yes, it's all small stuff. And, you know, it's really a, a terrific guide to help people. And I know it can help really if you're stuck in traffic or if you didn't get the job that... 500 other people applied for and you weren't guaranteed of getting it. Uh, but now we've got people who are dealing with COVID, with people who have lost others 
Uh, some of the lucky ones only lost their jobs and, and some finances. Uh, we've got people uh, living in neighborhoods that they deem to be safe, and now gun violence is taking place. Do you run into or how do you address the issue of, hey, maybe some of this stuff isn't all small stuff? Well, here's the thing. Voltaire said a long time ago, life is a shipwreck, but we still must learn to sing in our lifeboats. And what I, te- what I teach people is we prefer, not demand, we prefer that these events not happen. We prefer that our friends not become ill, our family members, God forbid, not die of COVID. We prefer that the business keeps going. Is it horrible or is it something that is truly bad? This is truly bad. When we turn bad into a horror, into a horror, we create more pain for ourselves than perhaps we need. So then, look, I work with people who have strong spiritual faith, and they they will say, "I prayed very hard for this not to happen, and God answered my prayer." But God's answer was no. So they have faith, and they're able to bring that into dealing with these seemingly horrific types of events, it is difficult and we have to be empathic and sensitive and we hope and pray these bad things never happen, but we know they do and they will. So turning a awful to a very bad, turning, I don't like it, I wish it didn't happen, I will go through a grieving process as opposed to I can't stand it. I can't stand it. And when you think about it, you're saying your life is over too. I can no longer tolerate life with this happening. So our job is to help people keep moving in life. And the only way we can help doing that, I believe, is by helping them change their direct thinking. That's very, very helpful. And uh, I know I will use some of that in my work with patients. In addition to the fact that I believe that this is the first time that I've had uh, Voltaire cited on these podcasts, so (laughs) thank you for that, too. Uh, I'd like to turn a slightly different direction. Uh, I remember, must be 10 or 12 years ago, with, uh, as you know, I work with, with a lot of headache patients, and I remember I went into a room with one of the hospitalized headache patients with my intern and conducted some of the interview, and then I left. And then when we processed it after that, my intern uh, said to me, she said that uh, the patient was really uh, impressed by the fact this is the first time that anybody in talking about her headaches asked her how many times, what does she do for exercise or how many times a week or whatever it was. I think both of us kind of, it's part of our DNA to, to assume that exercise is a part of wellness, just as uh, not focusing on disease is, but you've kind of made a real specialty out of it. And I I hadn't really thought through exactly how I got there, but I'm, uh, let me ask you the the question that sometimes people will ask me at parties or so, what's um, exercise and physical health got to do with psychology? Why, you know, why are you into this? Well, I think that uh, anyone who questions the value of movement today uh, has his or her head in some Google search that's not leading them to anything very helpful. 
It's widely known. We know today that regular physical exercise decreases the risk of almost every chronic illness. And researchers not long ago, University of Copenhagen, I think it is, I think it was Copenhagen, discovered that the beneficial effect of physical exercise is in part related to changes in our DNA. You mentioned DNA. And those changes are referred to as um, epigenetics, epigenetics. So we know that exercise improves health of organs, including the brain. And where does our psychology come from? Where does our thoughts come from? The brain. The fact is that I don't know. Well, I'll, I'll just share this with you. I'm a big follower of Dan Buechner's The Blue Zones in terms of active aging. And what the first thing that he points out amongst those who live to be 100 in the, in the blue zones is, is movement. Now, while I consulted gyms throughout the, the country, actually the world, the fact is you don't have to belong to a gym. You just have to move. I mean, we spend a lot of time and money worrying about gym memberships, body fitness routines, or which exercise is right. There is no one exercise that's right. What we have to do is make space in our busy lives to move, to walk. Walking is terrific. You don't need to be lifting weights necessarily. If you can, great. But think about it. Lifestyles that push people throughout the day to go for the walk, park the car far away, to figure out ways to move throughout the day in your own world rather than scheduling time to do an hour of fitness after 12 hours of sitting. So I, I'm, I, I believe very strongly that mental well-being and physical well-being are one. The only place that the mind and body are separate, Ron, are in textbooks. Otherwise, it's a bi-directional chain. Let's face it. After we go for a 30-minute walk or a, even an hour of working out, don't we feel better? Absolutely. I do. Yeah, absolutely. And. I don't know. Uh, I suspect you also know of John Ratey's work in, uh, at Harvard. And when he gives a presentation, one of the first things he does is get his audience moving because he says that will keep them alert for, for the entire lecture or, or the presentation. So and, and this was, I'm sure, really, really helpful advice for listeners. The fact is that you don't have to be you know, a fanatic about it. Just to do what people start doing when they're kids. They, they move, they play, they exercise. And, you know, and uh, so it's not natural to be sedentary indefinitely. I'll, I'll point something else out to you. Isn't is a funny thing, but it's worked. It's true. Try this today. When you go to sit down, sit down, but then stand up and then sit down. Now, when you're ready to leave the table, stand up and then sit down and then leave the table. You do that throughout the day, and you've been practicing squatting. And guess what? That's full-body exercise. You'll smile more. You'll chuckle. You'll tell your friends, I'm doing this crazy thing, but it's cool. <laughs> and for those of us who don't have ACLs in one knee, probably is better than an actual squat. <laughs> you know. Right. Just sitting in a chair. So you sit down, stand up, and then you're ready to leave, stand up. Sit down and leave. Yeah, great practical advice. 
which I suspect uh, there's one other area I'd like to get into. And I suspect based on what you've just said, there is some overlap. But you have, uh, at least uh, in recent years, been doing a lot of work in the active aging area, as I have. And uh, I, I guess I'm wondering what drew you to it and what general principles can you say for the not quite half of the listeners who uh, we have who are in, I guess, what we can charitably be called the senior years? Well, yeah. Look, first of all, you are a leader in this area. You are clearly, your, your book, this podcast, you are clearly a passionate leader. And when people look at you in the life that you and your family lead, they say, yes. Why dare to, my, my good friend, uh, Walter Bortz, MD, uh, wrote a book, Dare to Be 100, D-A-R-E, Diet, Attitude, Relationships, and Exercise. I, I read a book back in, I think it was, I don't know, beginning of the 2000s, no, no, maybe 2012, something like that. The top, top five regrets of the dying. Um, I wish I had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. I wish I hadn't worked so hard. I wish I had the courage to express my feelings. I wish I'd stayed in touch with my friends. I wish I had let myself be happier. When I read that, I realized I am not going to live a life of regret. There is no way I'm going to live a life of regret. So when I became involved with American Council Exercise, it was natural to be moving more. But I realized I wanted to live my purpose. Simply said, I like to help people. I like to help people in every way I possibly can. On the freeway, I let people cut me off. I don't care. You want to go, go. I want to reduce my stress. When I eat, I've taught this for many years in fitness programs, the the 80% rule. The 80% rule essentially says when you've reached 80% of full, stop eating. I try to eat as much plant-based as I possibly can. Sometimes I'll have a little bit of meat, but mostly plant-based. I'm not a big drinker. I may have a glass or two of wine on occasion. Friday night, I'll have a glass of wine. We're definitely faith-based. We belong to a a synagogue and faith community. Family comes first, no doubt about it. And uh, we believe that friendship is, we, I mean, my wife and I believe that friendship is essential. So we surround ourselves with a very active life of friends as well. And I think those are the key principles that we follow in our own uh, aging. And we know that we'd like to live to 100, some say 120. But the question is, what are we going to be like when we're 100? Are we going to be old and decrepit? Walter Bortz says decrepitude is a choice. We're not making that choice. That's just terrific. The... uh... You know, I, I think it's absolutely not coincidental that you're leading an active life and contributing so much. You're a little bit younger than me, but not that much younger. But uh, I mean, you know, you're a real role model for those of us who have, have passed what in the past was a normal retirement age, but hasn't been for you and me. So just in general, if, if somebody is listening and they're middle-aged, You know, I I think just like so many other things, kind of like saving for retirement, if you reach 65 and you haven't put any money away, probably going to be difficult to 
to, you know, to manage your lifestyle beyond that. I think it's the same kind of thing here. What kinds of things from a health and fitness and overall standpoint uh, should people be building into their lives so that when they get to where we are, it's not an abrupt change to, to lead healthy, active lives? Well, that's a good question. Again, I, as I said earlier, I like to follow the blue zone. Dan Buettner, excuse me, sorry, developed this program. Uh, he looked at five areas around the, the, the world where people seem to be living long lives, 100 years of age. And he took a blue pen, drew a circle around them on the map, and they became the blue zones. I guess they would have been the red zones if it was a red pen. But this is uh, Ikari, Ikaria, Greece, Okinawa, Japan. Where else? Uh, Sardinia, Loma Linda, California, Boya, Costa Rica, which is one of my favorite places to go to. And uh, he found that they, their lifestyle was entirely different. So I urge people to sit back and make a decision. Do you, what, how do you want to celebrate your 100th birthday? Oh, Michael, come on. Like, I, I can't stand up straight. My back hurts. This bothers me, that, my, my genetics, doesn't matter. Ask yourself, how do you want to celebrate your 100th birthday? Because the data says you can. And once you start making that decision, I suggest getting a coach, talking to somebody who can help you. My Paula is a fitness trainer. She's my age, uh, actually a year younger, but and she, all of her clients are 65 and older, mostly late 70s. And she goes to their house and she encourages them to be moving and active and eat well and think well. So I have an acronym, FEMO, T-H-E-A-M-O. Want to live to 100? Think well, to eat well, to move well. T-H, think, E-A-E-M-O, move. Think well, to eat well, to move well. And that'll help you sleep well. And that'll help you love well that ought to be helping you live well. well that's terrific. And uh, you can do that at any age, except it's, again, like starting to save for retirement when you're in your 20s and 30s, if you really think in those terms. But something you said was just so uh, profound. And, and, you know, a lot of people do exercises in, in trainings and coaching about, you know, write what you'd like your obituary to be like. And what I'm hearing is so much more positive. What, you know, how you want to celebrate your 100th birthday. It's something that, that I think is, is number one, more, more pleasant to contemplate. And number two can be much more of an incentive, you know, as, as you work through this. As I anticipated, we are running out of time before I run out of questions but that doesn't mean I won't bother you again to, to come on now that, that we've established this. I do have to tell the, the listeners that not only has Dr. Mantel honored us by coming on this 100th podcast, but he is interrupting uh, his vacation to do so. And I'm really grateful for that. But before I send you back to your family, want to know uh, how people can follow you, be in touch with you. Are there uh, particular products uh, such as your, your book that people can, can reach out and, and get? So let me let you to, to do something you don't do. Let 
it lets you free associate on how uh, people can can learn more about you and reach out to you. Well, thank you again. This has been a tremendous honor for me. Uh, I, there's just no question I, I would jump at doing this again for you at any time. Uh, if people, first of all, I like being accessible. I like to say I'm a coach in your pocket. If you want to be in touch with me, write to me. My email is simple. Dr. Mantell, D-R-M-A-N-T-E-L-L, D-R-M-A-N-T-E-L-L at me, M-E dot com. Uh, I put every day on Facebook and LinkedIn, have not missed a day in six or seven years, every single day, what I call the Mantell Daily Five. Follow me on Facebook and LinkedIn. You'll read these Daily Five. My book, The Link is What You Think, and Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, P.S. It's all small stuff, they're, and, and uh, they're available on Amazon. Go there and check the books out. But I invite you to uh, befriend me on, on social media. It's free. I don't make any money from it. I just like helping, and thankfully, we can. So uh, check out the Mantell Daily Five on Facebook and LinkedIn. My website is drmichaelmantell.com. But uh, be in touch with me directly. Dr. Mantell, D-R-M-A-N-T-E-L-L at me.com. Put your name in the uh, subject line, say Dr. Ron Kaiser, and we'll connect. Fair enough. And all this information will also be in the show notes. So if you're driving, don't worry. You don't have to test your memory for, for very long. You just check out the show notes and we'll have all this information. And I can attest to the fact that, uh, you know, there are some people who have a very nice, helpful persona for, for the media or things of that nature. Michael is truly one of the really good guys who will, when he asks you to write to him, he will respond. He's got so much to offer, even if you don't write to him just by following him. But Again, it's been, you know, just wonderful having you, Michael. Thanks so much for all you've contributed to the listeners. Libby joins me in wishing you and Paula and the rest of your family a great vacation. And again, it's something that is very special to me to have you guys as friends and to have to be honored to be celebrating this 100th birthday. Birthday, geez. <laughs> Well, I'll be thinking in those well, terms. Maybe we let's can do hope. that too. We'll, we'll plan uh, well, we've for that road, too. <laughs> but we've, but the hundred on the road together. We've been on the road together a long time, and uh, let's let's hope we'll celebrate our hundredth uh, anniversary. Paul and I wish you and Libby the best and your family, and uh, send her our love. Please have me on again. Love to chat with you some more. Great, great. That's the deal for the 100th birthday. And thanks again for the 100th podcast. So I think it's time for this love fest to end um, and let Dr. Mantel get back to vacation. Again, this has been Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser, our 100th podcast. And we're next week starting on the next 100. So join us. And again, hopefully you will not only be listening, but downloading rating, commenting upon the podcast, and please feel free to suggest other guests. You can reach me at ron.kaiser at mentalhealthgym.com. In the meantime, everybody remember we're still in a pandemic, so stay safe and everybody lead the best versions of yourself. Re-listen to this podcast. You'll have all kinds of advice for doing so. 
and looking forward to seeing you both next week and at the mental health gym. Take care and have a great rest of the day. See you next week.